Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine little yes! friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast, number 18. I am Chickity Chuck. I'm Godless. And uh, this is the place where we like to discuss the metal. That's what we do. What a show we got in store today. Oh, man. We keep debating. We what keep talking. We, we had a better, we've had a show already before the show, talking about the show. show. I mean, it always ah. happens this way. We just need to throw the mics on. When we start talking about stuff and just say, let's let's do this. Thing you hear now. the knock on the door. Just hit record. I, let's go. I know, right. Let's do it, dude. Make sure that you guys are signed up on uh, on iTunes and subscribe to this thing, because that way it'll come right to your device, whatever device that is. And you can listen to us every week right there. And of course, we post it on Mondays. You can uh, listen to us on MetalSucks.net because everybody is these days. I think it's important to listen to our opinions about different things because there are newsmakers and and tail shakers and things like that that are out there listening to us man. yeah that's right we're wagging the dog now i was uh yeah i was perusing on facebook i was uh looking for somebody to troll and and i realized that, <laughs> that, that we we got trolled this week <laughs> hell yeah uh, i was wait what happened we got trolled did you did you i just showed it to you, you just today, showed though. it to me yeah you did not even see that we i was gonna i should have passed it on to you on it's facebook. all good i've had my head like so firmly up my ass all <sighs> week long it does happen it, it definitely <laughs> it definitely does happen but a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Doc Coyle, who was uh, a great guy on the show, uh, interviewed by uh, our friends Vince and uh, Axel up there at the uh, Metal Mansion, and uh, he, he listened to at least that episode of the show. He listened to a couple. <laughs> he said he'd listen to a whole bunch. No, he said he listened to a couple episodes of the show and enjoyed what he had heard and yeah. gave us some uh, compliments, and then- I can promise you he's been listening since. And then turned around and, and slagged us for what we were talking about, about Vince Sevenfold. He, he did, didn't really slag us. He didn't us, really slag us. He just basically said, hey, look, I disagree with those guys. My favorite thing about that was, was that we at least had some kind of- so It made somebody respond to something. Yeah. Because- uh, uh, if nothing else, I do not ever claim to be right and or wrong, or I just have a damn opinion. And yeah. most of the time, it is a completely uneducated opinion, has no uh, basis in reality whatsoever. And for those who can't tell the difference between your voice and mine, I am always right. <laughs> that is true. Yes, uh, that's pretty much the the stance where, where you come from. Is that uh, Godless cannot be wrong. I'm still, We got 18 episodes in, and nobody's been able to point out any time when I've been wrong. Ever, that's no, the no, truth. I, th- I think you may be. I think you may be right. And another fifty episodes of doing our own thing beforehand. Not a single wrong. Not a single one. However, this week I did not. I did not want to dedicate this week to Avenge Sevenfold again. But we gotta. I didn't want to talk about this new record again. But we gotta. Everybody's talking about <sighs> it. I mean, I, it was a slow news cycle. I mean, we got to kill off a bassist or something, something somewhere because. Because it was a really slow news cycle, but still, Rob Flynn <laughs> he came up and uh, and dogged on Avenged Sevenfold this week with his uh, with his post with the top ten jokes about Avenged Sevenfold's new cover album that he put out there. Of course, it was responded to by M Shadows on some radio station up Who's in Canada. Who's a singer, right? Yeah, he's of the he, he's singer the singer of, yeah, of yeah, Avenged yeah. Sevenfold, and and it was. 
it was somewhat cordial as far as uh, hey man it's like your opinion man i, could, I almost can't hear you because i got know? so many dollar bills stuffed <laughs> to my ears which is in fact true yes that is uh, that is actually in fact true and honestly why it's so disappointing that this album is going to be is as well received as it is that that's that's the hard part for me like, more than anything i don't care if you rip somebody off that's all fine with me but but you, you may i know some people that do some really good original stuff and and they're not going to be making half that money well, oh. it's, well they're not going to be making a fraction of it. not even no but it, you know it, it kind of reminds me of like you know back when jaws came out everybody's oh it's a big summer movie you know jaws is like metallica's black album you know and then of what happens as soon as jaws comes out everybody sees it and goes <gasps> piranha <laughs> <laughs> nearly spit. Sorry, <laughs> nearly spit. That was a good one. That almost came out my nose. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's what it is. Avenged Sevenfold is Piranha, and only Piranha was good. I mean that's the difference. Except Piranha had tits, though. I mean, hell yeah. So I mean, that's the one thing we don't have here. We need we need a little bit more of that. But you know, the other thing is that if Piranha came out twenty years later, which I guess the new one originally just did. Right? Which, what? The, oh yeah, the the, the remake the, the or whatever. Remake. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but what you get what I'm saying, right? It's like here's the original. It's awesome. It's great. And then you got the other one, which at best should be a cult. Well, classic. honestly, when I when I read Doc's when I read Doc's post about this, it was uh, it was pretty interesting, and and I really I really liked his opinion on it because I thought it was I thought it was very interesting to to read what he had to say about uh, about this album. And also about music in general, because what he was talking about was that, you know, the whole idea, and it's been talked about for decades and decades and decades, you know, the idea that that, that the Beatles wrote every great record and it's already been done, or nobody can write an original anything because it's already been written. And I just don't buy that. I, you know, to me, that's that feels like a cop-out to me, because I, we were talking about that. We look at our top five albums of the year, or top ten albums of the year so far, and every one of them is an original album. You know, oh, every riff has already been riffed on. Right. And then I listen to High on Fire and go, these riffs are not riffed on Do yet. It. Yeah, it's or, like I said before about how, like, you know, if metal is a village and then the, there's a well that you get all, you get all, you stick the bucket in and you pull out riffs from, right? And everybody's got access to that well. But High on Fire figured out a way to get, I don't know, deeper or something, or they go there more often, or or they're just they got a bigger bucket. I don't know, but they're able to pull out cooler, better riffs than just about anybody. And look at and look at Carcass's new album. Yeah. They they dipped that bucket in twenty years ago. Anybody else could have gone and gotten the same riffs out, and they still are. They still come out, and it's still original. But then I go back and I start looking at uh, I start looking at you know this is the thing that gets me is Revolver I'm, I'm magazine. Hold, I'm holding the brand or the latest e- episode oh. or the latest edition of Revolver magazine and they got a big cover article in here about uh, Avenged Sevenfold and their new thing and basically what's the what's the byline here why their new album is their crowning achievement really? I don't know kind I of didn't, interesting. I've never really paid much attention to I don't know is there other stuff better no or? I like to read I, I love to read everything I read Decibel but I, I mean read, is, is, uh, is Avenged Sevenfold's and, previous albums well I mean I've listened to all of them and you listen to anything that they've done over the years and it's always been sort of paying homage to right. Guns N' Roses there's a I difference mean, between homage and to, no 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 to me they've been doing the same thing ripping off for every single album since waking the fallen waking the like their original stuff is completely different and that was actually you know metalcore and and not even what they're doing close to what they're doing now 
But what they did is they figured, you know, Sergeant D wrote a, wrote a whole thing about what do you do to make your band successful? Well, it is uh, <laughs> 80% generic, and 20% gimmick or whatever. You know? right. It's like it's all about the gimmick. They came up with a formula that works. You know, the M Shadows, the the Nikki Smalls or whatever the hell their names are. Or, you know what I mean? They've got their they've got their things. Uh, or what's his name? Zacky Vengeance. There we go. That's the the one I was thinking of. They all have their names. They got their costumes that they wear. It's it's they've got a they've got a whole gimmick and a thing going on. And it's not I don't know, man. It's it's hard for me to accept as reality, but at the same time, People are buying these records and people are loving this and it's on the cover of the metal magazines and they're getting in, they sell out shows and they do it. So you can't disqualify the fact that people like it and that it's there. See, I would say that the only people who are buying this album are the people who weren't alive when, you know, uh, welcome to the jungle album came out. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact is, is you look at, at, at the, the dimwits who, uh, uh, at metal sucks who, who who like this album. I mean, what's going on? (laughs) Is it Axel or is it Vince? Axel who likes it. it. What the hell? I'm not, but I mean, you know, you can accept it and like it as bubblegum or something. You know what I mean? I mean, if you, if no, you can't, I you guess. can't, I you know. can't. If you, if you've got a shred, we're of, talking about the event seven old record again. Damn it. Well, Why I know, but doing this now, do you think that doc Coyle is agreeing with revolver magazine when he basically, cause revolver magazine is basically like, uh, Avenge Sevenfold, wear your balls. We're going to keep them warm and wet as long as we possibly can. Doc Coyle doesn't seem like he's doing exactly no. that. No. But um, he's saying sort of like sort of like bigger picture, like, hey, look, these guys aren't original, but hey, let's all face it, it, you can't really be original anymore. Is that really what he's saying? Well, as he calls it, it's the illusion of, of originality, you know, and, and the illusion that things can be original. <clears throat> Nothing is really original, quote unquote. Unto, uh, That's according ridiculous. To That's totally ridiculous. And you know what? You could go up there and play two notes, but you could be doing it in an original way. You know what? Sometimes the great metal, the the, the, the stuff that just nails you is the stuff that sends the chills up down your spine. And there is nothing about the new Avenged Sevenfold is going to send chills down your spine as long as you spend a moment listening to the, the stuff that supposedly inspires them when they, actually they've been ripping it off. And he cited all this stuff, and I've watched most of these videos over the years where you, where it's the um oh where they do the comparison it's like metal that sounds like other metal and there's a lot of these that are really close and some of them are actual covers of songs yeah and, look at a led zeppelin i mean they get they get ripped on all the time for ripping off every great song that they ever you know, had and he talks about the sword doing you know basically a black sabbath cover kind of uh-huh. thing you know they play a lot of black sabbath well okay some of these things are obvious that they are influenced by and sound a lot like this I played Sabbath True and This Means War next to each other in that episode, yep. and it was the same riff. It is. It was the same speed. It was the same song. That's different to me than being on a little bit unoriginal and using somebody or punking their style even. That's the same riff. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. And that I can't get past. Like that's the only thing that I can't get past. And 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 you remember that interview we did with the with the dude from angry, Chuck angry, But you remember when we did that interview with the guy from the Atlas Moth? He was just talking about how like I the only stuff I really want to listen to is the stuff that moves the music forward. And I'm telling you, I'm going through the list of top ten albums for 2013 earlier this week. So far, there's a lot that's moving things forward. Moving a lot of it. I'm looking at that list, going, oh my god, is this possibly the greatest year? ever in metal i mean it's gotta be 
top three, top five. This is an awesome year for metal. It sucks that we're here talking about Avengers Sevenfold <laughs> during one of the most awesome years ever in metal, but there's so much moving it forward. You can't listen to Cavell or Tack and tell me that they're not moving things forward. Now, the only thing that really gets me, one thing that he that he had mentioned in this blog post was that you know this the gateway drug, the idea of uh, the things being a gateway drug, and I and I'm totally fine with that. If you, if you're 12 years old and you listen to Avenged Sevenfold and you love it and you think it's the best thing ever and you go to that show and you watch four opening bands that you've never heard of before and you go wow this band is pretty good too and I go check out the Deftones instead of uh, uh, also all right well then that's an adventure that you know that's a that's a wormhole that you need to go down you need to go check out the Deftones because that was really original even though it was new metal something completely different back back when they started so you you know you go down these you go down these holes because you find a band that you kind of identify with with uh, because i think about those people that found metallica when metallica's black album came out and did not know anything that had to do with the history of what they did as far as thrash metal and stuff with the you know master puppets and ride the lightning and, and uh, kill them all and you know they had never heard any of that stuff had no idea they heard nothing else matters and are, oh this is the best thing ever are you trying and to it tell turned me itself into a gateway to find make no. people find metal no are you trying to tell me that the biggest selling album doc Coyle says it's the biggest selling album and in, in, in music that's it, true yeah and trying to tell me that somebody we need a gateway to that no 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 i mean that's I'm like not, i'm not like, saying it's a gateway like, to that. it's like what saying, I'm saying yeah you got to take heroin just so you can find out what meth is like I, what i'm saying is, is that most kids or pe- young people do not just start off with carcass no, but you know <laughs> because what? It, it's a, it's above. It's a, they're not going to start off with death. They're but, not going to start off with the second level, third level, fourth level listening. But dude, you got to start somewhere. I mean, you got to listen to Five Finger Death Punch. You got to do that. I mean, you got to listen to that stuff. No, It'll you, get you there. No, you don't. I and think you. I think no, that's the I, idea. I go back I to like an interview I heard with uh, Randy Blythe once. He was talking about how his introduction to metal was that he had a cassette tape of like look what the cat drug in or something like that, like by poison or something. And some friend of his had a tape and, and his friend was like, man, this is awful. I, I, I got to get rid of this. And they swapped and it turns out that it was like misfits or black flag or something. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was Randy Bly's gateway. Thank you to that twerp who gave up the tape for poison because otherwise we wouldn't have lamb of God. Right. And that is the gateway. And that's, that's a hell of a lot better gateway. And we're talking about the yeah, internet but that, now, but when you got access no, no, to no, no, anything. No, 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 That's all. But that's also, you know, 1985. Well, yeah, that, but, that, that's different. I mean, you know, your gateway in I'm, 1985 could have been kill them all. Your gateway in 1985 could have been Slayer. You know, could, it could have been these other bands yes. in their integral album. And it can be somebody else now. But what I'm talking, well, yes and no i'm talking about what you're hearing on the radio or what people are trading or what's what's the most accessible stuff when i'm looking at the magazines and i see avenge sevenfold on the cover and i go bam there it is okay very i'll check this out and see what it is i mean not everybody is looking at this magazine with with carcass on the cover of it instead and a carcass flexi disc on the inside that's pretty okay (laughs) that's pretty awesome right there with the cover something that's not on the but why not why not look at that cover and go, those guys look cool. They don't look like they're 60 years old yet. Because and- not everybody knows better. They got to learn. You got to start somewhere. You really do. And I and I, I will defend, I will at least defend Avenged Sevenfold on that level. It's music. <laughs> it's, it's, it's music and it's listenable. For me as being an old fart metal guy who grew up and was had my, my passions just doused by the black album because i was so far past that at that point 
that it it sucks to me. But for somebody who is just coming of age or just figuring this thing out, okay, go ahead, go check it out, man. Maybe you'll see some cool bands that open up for them or go see them at a festival or something, and you will get exposed to some really cool shit over the years. All I right. mean, it's entirely possible. All right, so like la- all right, yesterday, right? I'm at the car dealership. Got We got our first metal sucks check i'm going to buy a car right (laughs) (laughs) and so down payment hell yeah 50 bucks exactly you got a shitty car is what you got (laughs) so anyway i'm sitting there and i don't have tv at home right because i unplugged the cable because tv sucks kill your television right and they're on tv they got i don't know what show it is but it's a show with this enormously fat couple and i i mean they're 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 morbidly obese okay uh-huh. yeah. and and they're lying in bed with i don't know like a, a a bucket of candy or something in the middle of the bed and i turn to my wife and i'm like you know what i hated it when television had nothing but skinny people but i don't think that this is right either there's something wrong about this too right and i think that whatever show that is is the equivalent of Avenge Sevenfold because it can be out there. It can be the gateway to now you're introduced to comedy or you're introduced to uh, 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 the seven o'clock news or whatever it is that you might think is a, a better quality thing. But but you know what? In order for that to really happen for people, uh, for it to be proper, okay, is Avenge Sevenfold, just like that couple on television, need to be ridiculed endlessly and anybody who likes them needs to be ridiculed endlessly so that they will become understanding that they are in the wrong and they need to move on to something and it actually becomes a gateway rather than a fence that holds them in. That is a problem unless we as a community collectively ridicule these people for being morbidly obese and or Avenged Sevenfold. But it doesn't happen because look at what the Black Album did to metal back in 1992, 91. 91. It killed it. It should have been the gateway. Yeah, but there were so it much other. There were so many other factors. I mean, and even Doc talked about that in his blog. Whether it came out the same year as Nirvana, you know, I mean, Nirvana had taken that bridge of uh, of punk and heavy music and metal, sort of, and yeah, Melvins made, made or whatever, some, yeah. something out of it and and created grunge and just pacified everything and just blah 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 <laughs> and and it's that's what hit it was really interesting when that album hit it was it was it, very interesting first time i saw smell that smells like teen spirit was on headbangers ball because they weren't sure oh, what yeah, to yeah, do with yeah, it yeah because it was it was too heavy for regular rotation exactly. but it was also you know so i mean things things change i just find it really weird I don't know. I, I have a tough time with the, I have a tough time with the new Avenged Sevenfold. I but at the same time, I can totally see why why people love it so much. Or, or people uh, to no. me to me, it's just background music. It's just filler. It sounds like everything. Ugh. It's just okay. There no, it should be shunned. It should be shunned. <laughs> it shouldn't be in the background of anything. I'm a little more indifferent about it. You know, I just uh, I just don't care that much. I just think that it's disrespectful to mm. like to just mm. rip off everything and then and then collect the, the the one direction fans that you can pick up in the you know out of the parking lot. And that seems to be what Avengers Sevenfolds out to do. My protest is to not listen to it. That seems to work out just fine and i refuse to talk about it see whatever (laughs) we just spent the last like 15 minutes on this record again 
Jesus, I man. think no, Doc Coyle's wrong, and I, 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 you know what? If he doesn't have a, a, a new idea, a new riff, or anything like that, then you know what? It's probably good that you broke your band up and 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 hang out. Wait, wait until you go, get to that well that that has all the cool riffs in, and then you come oh, back again. You're evil. You it's true though, dude. Evil, dude. No, but if he doesn't have a good I- original idea in his head, then you know what? Good. Shut up. Don't do what Avenged Sevenfold are doing. Doc Coyle's right, and and Avenged Sevenfold should be taking a page out of doc Coyle's book if you don't have an original idea go work in the bar for a couple of years and then come back when you thought of something sorry i'm going through here and i'm like oh led zeppelin steals all uh, steal songs it's like well no kidding man they actually cover songs uh, you know when the let me uh, never mind well speaking of covers well, i mean you want to talk bo- about a, a really bothering a really this? great gateway uh, the the our uh, favorite movie makers they they steal they rip off movies no the metal no way. the metal sucks uh, uh playlist on spotify this week it's just it's all cover songs. whole boatload of cover songs and it's like talk about an awesome gateway i mean for me i mean i heard the song bored by death angel and i was like oh this is different i dig oh, this was that uh but no the original death angel but then then they're doing their interview and they're like oh yeah and we do a cover of cold gin by kiss and i'm like oh sold gotta i gotta hear that so i bought the album and then oh my god you know like third floor is awesome and all these other songs are awesome and they all of a sudden bored and cold gin were like the least of my uh um you know, interest in that album, but it, it, that was my gateway. That's, I'm not saying everybody needs to take the same gateway I did, but Avenged Sevenfold is one awful gateway. Yeah, but I think there are people that, that the Black Album was the gateway. There are people that Slipknot, you know, was the gateway. How could you say there Slipknot's was- a gateway? Slipknot is as extreme as it gets when you come from, you know, where a lot of people in Avenged Sevenfold are coming from. Yeah, but I'm talking about that was a peak, though. That that was a different time. I mean, that that was back when... That was when but that, this that is was the a- greatest year for metal ever. There's so many other potential gateways. No, you're you're looking at it. You're saying it's the greatest the greatest time for metal ever it's the broadest time it's it's wide out there but i guarantee you that nobody this year other than Avenged sevenfold maybe is selling as many records as iowa did of course in 1999 yeah. and that's what i'm talking about i'm talking about selling albums i'm talking about making money and selling records and moving things i mean if, if we're talking about art and moving things forward then there's some amazing stuff that's coming out right now that, that's totally moving things forward. And Avenged Sevenfold is not it. But when I'm talking about moving it forward within society and pushing things farther, just the spear, the, the tip of the spear, driving it into the heart of America to make things more evil inside, Slipknot was one of the ones that did it the farthest. Before that, it was Metallica that had driven it, or Pantera with Far Beyond Driven. Uh, you know, Metallica's Black Album, uh, and now you got something like Avenged Sevenfold that is just sort of continuing it, even though it sounds just like stuff we've heard before. So See, I, I don't know. You look at Nirvana was sort of like the exception to the rule as far as like trying to do something. They did something that you know, love it, hate it, whatever. It, it had it was original, and that w- changed the game. I mean, it, it was, changed radio formats. You know what? Was it original though? That's that. That's the whole thing. Is that? That that's the question. They took stuff that was from other genres. They took riffs and things that yes. were already done. So does Cavalertag. But combined it in a different way. Yes. So I mean that makes it original, even though they're taking a taking taking a couple bars out um, of this or taking a couple bars out know, of that. You know what? It's, if, if if you're the chef and and you know you put salmon with peanut butter and you know it tastes good, then I'm good to go. You know, I, thank goodness the chef was able to think of it. So you've basically just made Doc's point there because everything is a remix. Everything is a. I'm not saying it's a remix. A, I'm telling I'm telling you that that. 
taking a, a, a thinking convergently about your music is a hell of a lot better than thinking the way that Avenged Sevenfold, which is a, a thinking like a Xerox copy machine. Mm. Convergent thinking has value. Well, so you instead of instead of slapping it on a plate and, or turning it over on the other side, you're you're really just throwing it in a blender, grinding it up, and creating something different. Exactly. Out of it. Although they may be the same notes or similar riffs or something of that nature, but I mean that's what I'm talking about. It's like it's art. That's exactly the point he's making is that it's already been done. No, no, he's trying to say that you can't do anything original, and I'm saying that convergent thinking, taking this this from over here and putting it with that over there for the first time is original thinking if you're the first one to do it mm. hell yeah i mean everybody's blasting on this uh on what where black metal has been going and you know what i listen to it when they mix it with the the shoegaze uh, uh pop and all that stuff i'm like you know what i i dig it because it's something new it's they're thinking convergently about two very very isolated previously isolated genres mm-hmm. i'm cool mm-hmm. with that Hmm, I, I mean, did you see that video for the new uh, Shining uh, thing? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Those guys are great. You can't say that what the Shining are doing and what what these other bands are doing is not original. They, yes, they are. They're not coming up with a new instrument that nobody's thought of before and and putting it in there. But they're or, or doing yeah, it yeah, in yeah. like a yeah. 15, 16 time, and nobody's even tried to do that. You know, maybe except for Frank Zappa when he was on the on the Shitter one afternoon. Yeah, you know, Meshuggah. You know, and yeah. It, but do you know what I'm saying? It's like it's like uh, 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 damn. You know, it's good. It's good because it's original because it's different stuff moved together. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Avenged Sevenfold are not doing that. They try to claim that they are, I think, is... You know what? Doc Coyle admitted it in that interview that that we had on our show a few weeks ago. And go back to listen to it if you haven't yet. And he says, well, he all but says that, you know, I can't think as well as uh, Godless does. And he's thinking about this a lot more clearly (laughs) than I do. I mean, that's pretty much what he said, right? And I'm saying he's doing it again. No, see, I I don't know. I I would love I, what we do. We need to have him back on. Actually, what we talked about that we need to get we need yeah. to get him on. We need to get Rob Flynn on. We need to talk about great. it. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I look at it from the point of view, and a lot of people give us crap because oh, you guys aren't musicians. You don't write songs, so what do you have to say about it? It's like, well, but I'm my job. I think Sevenville don't write songs either. <laughs> hey, hi <laughs> That's too easy. Uh, I know. I'm just softballs for you. Yeah. I'll just throw them up here. You can knock them down. <laughs> No, I mean, and my job is is to listen and, and to criticize because what I found in a, at a young age was that I cannot create good music. My my music is um, pretty awful. You can sing awesome though. I can sing awesome, but my problem is, and I can read music and I can figure stuff out. But the problem I have is is that the stuff that I wrote sounded like Black Flag. <laughs> for, for, <laughs> yeah, it's this is what it was. I, all I'm doing is ripping somebody off, so I stopped. Yeah, I quit doing it. I, I, I learned how to write. I learned how to talk. I learned how to do all this other stuff instead and, and create a, and formulate opinions on it. And I have passionate opinions about these things. That's what I do. It's like, so I like to get musicians' opinions about this stuff as well, like people that are current musicians and see what they think about it. Cause this oh, dude, do you call Doc Coyle a current musician? He's a bartender now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Sorry, bud. So we got an interview between a debate between a musician and a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> oh love you doc I do. I love you i really do we just gotta you just gotta have some fun man oh shit we, such a kiss ass uh, hey man i'm trying i'm trying i'm trying to play the uh diplomat here 
Uh, we just rip on somebody's out, well, you know, major label record for the last half an hour. What do, what do you got to, hey, man, everything's great. Oh, it's super. We love you. We love it, UMG. You're the best thing ever. Yeah. Oh, I suppose crap. Avenged Sevenfold aren't willing to come on. Uh, you know what? Maybe. But I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to do what We have Rob Flynn interview. We're going to do what everybody do. else does. Like, hey, man, oh, new record's great, man. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, we're gonna have to kiss their ass. No, we don't. I mean, yeah, we we actually don't. But but, but I mean, what happens? Is, you know, they just have, wind up hanging up on you or something when you start ripping on them. So I mean, well, that's that, entertaining. That's no fun. That's entertaining. I don't know. Maybe I'll see what I can do. Uh, but we gotta we gotta talk to. <laughs> we've got an interview. We forgot to even like front sell what we were talking about on the show, man. Uh, we've got yeah Levy who's gonna be on the show. Uh, the, we're gonna do an interview with him in just a little bit. Play a couple songs that he actually produced. He's one of the He's an ex. He's got some great credits. I mean, whether you go back to him playing in Doth, uh, Arsis, uh, working with uh, Bla- Black Dahlia Murder, Devil Driver, a lot of new bands that are out there as well. But we wanted to play one, considering that we we're talking about ripping things off. Let's go ahead and do some thrash revival. <laughs> I like Battlecross. Actually, man. I do like Battlecross a lot. But if we're talking about similarities, we're talking about similarities. Dude, you can't, you couldn't mash up Battlecross's stuff with anything. You don't think so? No. No, I, probably I not. I challenge you I pro- to try. I, I probably couldn't, I, actually. Because they got a little death thing going on, too. You know, it's all good. But this is one of uh, A.L. A. Levy's uh, excellent, great achievement on this on this one. We're going to do a song called Never Coming Back from Battlecross on the Metal Sucks podcast. Tell me your Coming back It's the 
what's going on, man? Are you down in Florida right now? I am in sunny Sanford right now, uh, watching Whitechapel track some drums and writing some music and having fun. When we first met you, though, you were living in Atlanta. Is that where you grew up? Uh, from about the age of 10, I was actually born in Cleveland and uh, had the unfortunate experience of kind of growing up in Cleveland, but then the rest of the way was in Atlanta, so that made up for it. And uh, I moved to Florida just about two years ago, two and a half years ago. I, pro I promise we're going to come to Florida. We're starting at the beginning here. Don't come to Florida. You don't want to. <laughs> We can talk all about what a weird place Sanford is later. Cool. You And you started playing music at a really young age, is that right? About three years old, I started playing the piano and the violin. Um, that is fucking crazy. Do you still play either of those instruments? No, absolutely not. Uh, I hated them both because I had to practice with my dad, who was a pretty big drill sergeant and we would fight all the time. Uh, in retrospect, actually, I think that he uh, bestowed standards on me as a very, at a very young age, and so that's why um, I can be a bit of a Nazi with musicians. I mean, it was basically ingrained. But uh, no, I quit those when I was about 10 years old and took about a year break and then moved on to guitar. And what inspired you to come to guitar? Was it specifically metal or was it something else? It's just a cool instrument. Yeah. I mean, I guess that the metal bands that were big at the time were somewhat inspirational, but I mean, electric guitar is just cool, <laughs> especially when, uh, when you're around classical instruments as a kid and they're not cool at all and really dorky and, you know, as a kid, you don't know better you just know that the cool kids play guitar and uh, so i wanted to play guitar this was about the same age that you moved to cleveland that you, excuse me that you moved to atlanta from cleveland yeah some somewhere in that time period it was a little bit after moving to atlanta i picked up guitar do you think there's a connection absolutely okay <laughs> do you uh, care to elaborate <laughs> yes the the friends that i made when i moved to atlanta had older brothers that were in bands mm -hmm. and so from hanging out with my friends and seeing their cooler older brothers who would do things like drive and hang out and you know all those things that kids see teenagers doing that they think are just so amazing one of those things was play the guitar and so I wanted to do that what kind of stuff were they playing? Do you remember? Play, trying to play or playing? <laughs> trying uh, to play. <laughs> I think they were trying to play Iron Maiden and Green Day and Guns N' Roses. And I think one of them bought a Rust in Peace tab book, but that didn't, uh, that didn't go too well. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine what the problem would have been there. Yeah, I don't know. It's pre pretty basic stuff for... Uh, 12-year-old to play, right? <laughs> what was your first guitar? It was a really crappy classical guitar because I tried to get my parents to get me an electric guitar and they thought that I was just going to quit within three months. So they wanted to challenge me and it was kind of like, if you last six months, then we'll uh, get you an electric. So uh, I lasted, you know. Got a Fender Squire. 
Fender Squire. Did you uh, did you take lessons? Yeah, I, I had to take lessons. I, I started with uh, classical guitar lessons for those six months, and then basically on day one of the sixth month, I, I collected, um, got an electric guitar, changed teachers, and broke the classical into pieces. And that was that. Did you really break it into pieces? Yeah, I really did. I broke the Fender Squire as well. Deliberately? Yeah. When you got a new one? Yes. What did you get when you broke the Fender Squire? Uh, Les Paul. Okay. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Like, dude, Fender Squires really aren't that great. And uh, I yeah, had, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had it for like two years or something and then saved up an entire summer of working to get a Les Paul. And when I got rid of the Squire, it was definitely a good riddance, burn it in effigy kind of moment. Uh, so it was a real deal Les Paul. It wasn't like an Epiphone. No, it was a real Les Paul. That's that's a nice guitar to have at age, whatever age you were then. Yeah, funny story is I promptly broke it within two weeks of owning it, but that time was by accident. Oh, that sucks. It was leaning up against the wall, and I knocked it, and it moved maybe two feet. It was like the most non-eventful fall ever, and the neck came clean off the body. Oh. I, I think it was probably karmic retribution for the two guitars I had purposefully uh, destroyed before that. Uh, how much Were you able to have it repaired, I guess I should ask? Yeah, I was able to repair it, but it was never the same. I ended up selling that guitar a few years ago, actually. It, it just wouldn't hold tune, and the tone was weird. It was, you know, you couldn't fix it, really. And what kind of stuff were you trying to play in your Les Paul days? Rust and Peace uh -huh. kind of stuff and Guns N' Roses. The same exact stuff, right? Like Slash solos and Marty Friedman solos and some Randy Rhodes stuff. Uh, whether or not I was actually doing it is a different story, but that's what I was trying to do. How many years do you think you were playing when you felt like you were starting to get good? It hasn't happened yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but when I st was starting to get better, like maybe suck a little bit less to where it wasn't embarrassing. And when it stopped driving people out of the room, I think maybe within about six months. So by the time you got the electric guitar? Uh, I mean six months from oh. the point of owning the electric guitar. Uh, that's still pretty good. Well, the thing is that when you first get an electric, if you're into heavy music, you're going to experiment with distortion. And probably your first attempts with that are going to be total noise and just horrible, horrible sounds. And uh, I think I got tired of hearing people say, you fucking suck, and leaving the room to where I actually <laughs> bought some you know, book and started working on some exercises. At that point, you were doing self-educated stuff. I was taking lessons, but I was augmenting the lessons with got my it. own stuff. Got it. And do you remember when your taste started to move towards the heavier side of that kind of stuff? Past the Guns N' Roses-y kind of shit? Uh, Guns N' Roses, Pantera, Megadeth, Metallica were all kind of like the same realm back right. then, to me at least. Right. And somewhere maybe also around six months or so later, I started to meet some people who were into bands like Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel and Deicide, and I absolutely 
could not get into those bands at first. I just thought it was, I, I just couldn't handle the vocals and blast beats and all that stuff. It definitely took about a year of hearing that stuff before I could make out any of the riffs. And also, the, those bands all put out records that were a little bit different, kind of around the time that I got into death metal. Like, Angel put out Domination, Cannibal Corpse put out The Bleeding, and those are arguably very listenable records for for that old-school style. That was kind of when they started to make, like, really definable songs, I think. And that's also when I started to like it. So I think that I think there's a correlation between uh, that and me liking it. That makes sense. So then you go through high school, blah blah blah. At some point, you end up at Berkeley. Yeah, uh, I didn't ever really want to go to college. It was just one of those things where I had pretty intense pressure to go to college, and eventually I bowed into it and figured that if I'm going to go, I may as well go for music because that's what I'm going to do with my life. But I didn't, I didn't last very long there because I didn't want to be there in the first place. Right. But you did, you did meet some long-term friends there, it seems like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of people who are in the scene right now doing all kinds of different things that were there at the same time as me. No, James Malone, I met him there. Gus G. Like, I don't know, I, I could... If Sukoff? I, sat here, I didn't meet Sukoff. Oh, really? Then. No. Oh, my mistake. Did I think Sukoff went to Full Sail. Oh, then I'm way off base. <laughs> I, I am the most poorly researched interviewer ever. No, I, I know where the mistake came from, though, because he is from up north. Got He's it. from Connecticut. But he moved down to Florida in, like, 99 or something some around the same time that i would have gone to berkeley he was coming down to florida how long did you last at berkeley like a year less well there's the amount of time (laughs) there's the amount of time that i was actually in boston and the amount of time that i spent in class and uh i think maybe a cumulative year of berkeley time but i was in boston for about three years so what were you doing in boston when you weren't in class i didn't realize you lived in boston for that long yeah, three long years. I was practicing guitar and studying how to start a studio and how to get a band signed. I would go to the Berkeley Library and just grab music business books and take them back to my place and then not leave for maybe two weeks straight. And I'd go back and forth between practicing and just like four hour segments and then reading for like all night and then eating something and then practicing for like six hours and then reading some more. And I ended up failing a lot of classes, but ended up getting a lot better at music and understanding the business more. That's a pretty young age to have a grasp of that stuff. Well, maybe back then it was young age, but I'm pretty lucky that from the time that I was a kid, I wasn't into other people charting my path for me. Same reason that I gave up on piano and violin, you know, as a little kid. Um, it's probably it's probably the same thing that led me to bail on Berkeley. I've just never been cool with uh, having somebody else chart a path, and I always wanted to do my own thing. And 
they didn't really offer a major for what I wanted to do. So I just kind of set it, set the goals myself and worked towards them myself and figured that if I fail out because I'm doing better at music than whatever, who cares? Did you want to be a producer because you were interested in that stuff? Or did you see it as, at that time in your life, did you see it as a necessity? Like, no one's going to produce me, so I'm just going to learn to do this myself. No one's going to record me, rather. I had an experience having demos recorded back in Atlanta where we saved up, we being the band, saved up and went to a local producer who was doing pretty well and basically just watched him do a bunch of heroin and <laughs> taught me how to how to operate the tape machine and would then go crash on the couch so that was that was kind of my formative studio experience and so i, I guess i wasn't too trusting of the process because of that and then when i was at berkeley i had my band and we went to some studios to get an album priced out and when it came out to be something like 25 grand to record an album, it was like, you know what? 25 grand, and I don't even like the way this guy's stuff sounds. Um, and this guy's like the best in town. There's got to be a different way. And so I just figured I would get a Sound Blaster <laughs> sound card. So, somewhere in my mind, the Sound Blaster sound card was going to give me the same results as a Neve board and a tape machine, which is really retarded if you think about it. But I justified it and got some credit cards and maxed them out and figured I would just teach myself how to do it for the same amount of money. And then I would know how to do it forever and could make money off of it. So that's also while you're still in Boston? That Yeah, that's when I started accumulating gear and making really, really bad recordings. Like, if, if you think my recordings are bad now, you should have heard them. <laughs> you should have heard them then. Um, at what point? Really bad. At what point did you move back to Atlanta and start your own studio? The, it's kind of convoluted because okay. I, I went back and forth from Atlanta to Boston a couple times because I hated it in Boston so much. And I started a side project in Atlanta, which basically later became Doth. But the side project was actually getting pretty good compared to my main band. And so I started to have second thoughts about being in Boston in the first place. So I just kind of one day after having maybe like 20 songs or so written and recorded, pretty shittily for Doth. Um, it's just like, you know what? My real project's in Atlanta. What I'm actually recording is in Atlanta. Why am I in Boston sending tracks back and forth when I'm from Atlanta? I like it better there, and my project's there. I'm going to go to Atlanta, start a studio, and get this band signed. And I went back. That was in about 2003. And that was pretty much what you did. Yeah, I just want to emphasize that for people listening. In 2003, you said, I'm going to go back and get this band signed. And you were signed by, what, 2005, 2006? October 15th of 2005 is when I got my first email from a record company. Somewhere March of 2006 is when it was signed. Did all those earlier recordings, uh, like the Arsis stuff and the Misery Index stuff, that was all 
during the going back and forth between Atlanta and Boston period? No, that was once I had already moved back. Uh, I kind of had this notion that if I played my cards right and tried to get in with recording the right bands, that would eventually lead to contacts for the band. So um, I tried to record the biggest bands I could find. And, you know, for that... It was a huge achievement to land Misery Index because yeah. that was like 2004. So I had been recording for three years, and it sounds like I've been recording for three years, but it was still it was still a good time and I learned a whole lot. And this was all was this the same little basement studio that I visited? Yes. Okay. I wish I could like paint a picture for people listening. So these albums were made basically in a room the size of a what like a large jail cell maybe. A, a double wide jail cell yeah. or something. Well, but there was also there was the quote unquote live room, which was just another room in the basement, basically that I put a bunch of foam on the walls of and ran some cables to. But yeah, it was just some tiny, tiny shitty room. Still very impressive. So then, how did you get involved with Audio Hammer eventually? Well. I think uh, through recording Arsis, James Malone was friends with uh, Sukov, and he was, one day he was just like, I know someone who you would be friends with. And he just made a phone call or an iChat, I don't remember, and just put me on the phone with Jason. And we had some shared experiences that I can't talk about that, uh, that we bonded over immediately, and we were just friends right away. That was in 2005. So we, I was actually friends with Sukov before even getting signed or anything. He was always that dude who had the studio who was better than everyone. What, is, what do you mean, the dude who had the studio that was better than everyone? Like He was like the guy down in Florida who, no matter what you did, he, his shit just sounded better. But you didn't record with him until... 2008. Yeah. So at that point, it was just based on your friendship and how great his stuff sounded, I take it. Yeah, totally. And also that he wanted to work with us because we wanted to obviously work with Sneep and stuff like every band does at some point or did back then. But he didn't want to have anything to do with us. And Jason and Mark were super enthusiastic about it. And at the end of the day, that's a lot more important, I think. Uh, you, you, need to, you need to have some equal partners in the recording equation for things to turn out good. Uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of jobs, though, going around where the producer is not that enthusiastic about the work, right? Like, there's no, oh, yeah. there's no avoiding that. No, and I mean, a lot of people on the outside rag producers, but I mean, you know, does everybody on the outside enjoy every moment of their jobs? Probably not. Right. And, you know, bands bands have a reputation for being tough because they are tough a lot of the times. And producers aren't always the, you know, the biggest sweethearts. They they can also be some tough characters. So some, sometimes uh, the chemistry just isn't right. Sometimes the band just fucking sucks. Sometimes you're just taking a gig because 
you need the money. Like, you know, there's any number of reasons for why a producer wouldn't be into it. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Any, any number of reasons for why somebody wouldn't be into their job right. apply in production as well. Uh, at what point did you and Sukov decide you were going to combine forces? So Doth recorded in 2008 right. down at Audio Hammer, and I was super involved in it. I mean, Jason definitely produced and mixed it um, with Mark, but you know, I was definitely very, very much a part of it. And from that point on, I kind of stayed that much more involved in Jason's recording life, I guess. And at some point later on that year or the next year, I kind of knew that the Doth's days were numbered and Jason you know, Jason's biggest curse is his honesty. He kind of knew it as well. And he just started saying things like, uh, so when are we going to figure out what you're going to do with your future? And, uh, you know, things like that that will get you thinking, like, what the hell does he mean by that? (laughs) Uh, So, you know, we were toying around with the idea from about late 2008. And then in 2010, the official come down here and become a partner with me, build a drum room offer happened. And and thus it was so. And thus it was so. And now, you, and now you've been living in Sanford, which is um, a fascinating place, as we were saying before. Yeah, if you like watching grass grow, it's really, really fascinating. There's some good people watching down there. That would require finding people, though. Oh, well, uh, the... Um God, what was the place where they brought me like the biggest breakfast I've ever had for seven dollars, and they were selling a uh, Cracker Barrel? Yeah, it was Cracker Barrel, but they have Holy those everywhere. Shit. Yeah, but not in New York. Oh, okay. <laughs> for yeah, a, for a reclusive guy like me, that was a fucking sight, man. I don't think that is so much Cracker Barrel. I think it was the clientele That's because it, Cracker Barrel is kind of like Waffle House, to where most of them are terrible, but here and there they're all right. If you have to, you can get by on it, but some of them are absolutely terrible. Uh, That was the longest sentence ever. Um, But yeah, there was a really strange crowd when we were there. Definitely. There was definitely a kid watching us, which was weird. Yeah, from about two feet away. Uh, So Sanford, Florida, everybody should visit it. Yeah, or or not. No, I shouldn't belittle (laughs) where you live. But you're traveling soon. Yes, which, I'm going to Seattle and L.A. What's in cool. Seattle and L.A.? See how really? I casually segued there. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good segue. Thanks. Well, besides really awesome restaurants, um, I am collaborating with a company called Creative Live in Seattle and giving a six-hour course on how to program your drums to sound absolutely amazing and not like a uh, basketball having sex with a typewriter via Easy Drummer, which is some of the coolest software ever made for programming drums besides uh, Superior Drummer. What makes it, what make, I, I don't know anything about drum software, so what makes it so great? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, the ease of use is fantastic. Like anyone can get proficient enough at it very quickly to have their drums sound pretty damn passable. 
And that right there, that in and of itself is huge because I remember what it was like to make demos back in the days of like old drum machines or, you know, having to record really shitty drummers for your demos. And this just trounces all of that. And like I said, you can get it going very, very quickly. And then the other thing about it that's super great is if you put the time in, you know, you can get full full quality results out of it. Like there's plenty of records out there that you would never know didn't have a real drummer that are either easy drummer or superior drummer. Um, they, these, they're not fake drum sounds. Like the guys at Toontrack, which is the company that makes this software, they'll basically rent out a studio for about a week with uh, top producers and top session drummers, and they will capture every nuance of a bunch of different drum sets and uh, record a bunch of drum beats, basically give you everything you need to program some drums very quickly that sound pretty damn good. I've heard you say it's especially difficult to get a good drum sound. Is that accurate? Uh, in real life? Yeah. With like a real drummer? Yeah. It's almost not worth it if you don't have a killer drummer and a killer drum room. These days, with, uh, with that kind of software out there, um, it's more cost and time efficient to program your drums. I mean, nothing, nothing tops having an awesome drummer, and the guys at TuneTrack will say that as well. But you know, not everybody has that luxury, and believe me, it is a luxury. And yes, even with a top drummer, to get a really good drum sound, it takes days. I think that our average here with you know, ideal situations it would be three to five days on just getting drum tones. And that's, you know, if, if the drums are tuning right and you have like proper drum selection and you made the right choices with the mics and all that stuff, then it's still about three days. And you're talking about a really good hitter, you know, every, every factor in the situation being ideal, it still takes a while. And so you can only imagine that if the drummer sucks or hits like a little girl or whatever you got a shitty drum set or a bad room or whatever that it might not even be possible to get a good sound you you could go forever and it'll still sound like shit you would recommend to young bands just trying to like make demos or whatever that they use the software instead of their shitty drummer in a shitty drum room. The first thing I recommend is that they get lessons and practice uh-huh. and get really good. But in lieu of that, and not necessarily even in lieu of that, even along with that, yes, they should get good at programming drums and use the software because it's really fast and these days speed is everything um you know we're not we're i mean this goes without saying but we're not in the analog days anymore so everybody being connected and the world moving super fast you have to get your ideas to people super faster they move on and that includes drummers as well and i actually know some really prominent drummers who are phenomenal who could play everything who when it comes to writing and it comes to demoing, 
they'll just program their drums anyways because it's just quicker and it's really easy to make changes. You don't have to re-record and reset up and all this stuff. You just change the MIDI around and you're good. You can teach this program to people in six hours. That's how fast it is. Yeah, I can get them a basic level of proficiency. Right. Um, I'm doing another course with Creative Live in January, an advanced drum production one, and that's going to be a three-day course, and it's going to be two days of a drum set, like a, an actual drum set with microphones and a drummer, and uh, a full day of Superior Drummer, which is the more advanced tune track uh-huh. uh, drum software. Um, and that's you know that's for the people who either are more advanced now or six hours isn't you know isn't enough for their goals but you know if uh if someone just wants to get demoing and just wants to get started yeah six hours sure why not totally do you know what the format of the class is going to be like are you just lecturing are people working on their laptops as you lecture that part I'm not 100% sure on, okay. um, but I do know that there's going to be a live studio audience there okay. ask, asking me questions, uh, and these are people who have to audition to get in there, so they're all going to be people who obviously are musicians and producers, and I know that I will be uh, working through the software in real time for people. So I imagine that it'll be lecture slash question and answer um so how do people get involved with this if they want to watch now's your chance to plug your shit (laughs) all right my chance to plug the shit www.creativelive.com slash audio and go look for mine it says al levy it's pretty clear nobody else has that name it's actually free to watch it's on september 25th and if you just want to watch it on September 25th, it's free. You just need to sign up. If you want any time access after that, it's uh, 29 bucks if you basically pre-order or 49 bucks after the 25th. But to save yourself 30 bucks, people, just try to carve out time on the 25th. <laughs> I, don't well, mean to, I don't mean to rob Creative Live of any income. but The, the thing about it, though, 30 bucks is 30 bucks is 30 bucks, but... Uh, the I wonder if people will remember everything that they need to remember from one six-hour course. I mean, if it was me, like, I, I hope I don't sound like a used car salesman. If it was me, I would pay the 30 bucks and be able to access it forever because I know how I learn. And it takes me maybe when, when incorporating something new like that, that's like a whole new way of thinking about something creative, it takes... I don't know, like a good month to a couple months to really, to really get awesome. Maybe longer, six months. Uh, so I would always want to be able to reference what I originally learned. So that's like just, I was saying, me. go watch it on the twenty fifth and then buy it for thirty dollars. It's a totally wise investment. Yeah, if you buy it on the twenty fifth. If not, it's it's forty nine. So buy it before the buy it before the twenty fifth. Yes, before midnight. Before midnight on the twenty fifth. You've been you've become like Mister man of letters recently you're you're handing out recording advice on your on your other site yes allevy.tumblr.com basically i'm answering questions and this was uh this was basically something selfish at first because i get blown up pretty frequently on my phone or facebook or iChat 
and a lot of the questions that I get asked are repetitive and redundant. Like, you know, people have the same issues when they're trying to get good at recording or music. Like, it's there's usually not unique issues. Um, it's usually very samey. So if you're helping one person, you're probably helping 10,000 people if you can just communicate that info to t the 10,000 people who have that same problem. So just figured that Tumblr is already, uh, it's already there. It already works. So I just have to plug my information into it. And it's really awesome because people submit questions and I answer the ones that uh, I have time to answer or that makes sense to answer. Some of them are kind of weird. They go anywhere from super basic recording questions like how do I plug a microphone into an interface to some more advanced stuff, musicianship and or music business stuff. Basically, I'll answer anything I feel like answering about any topic related to music. I can't imagine when I was a kid a producer making himself available like that. It's pretty. It's pretty great. Well, I don't know of a producer that made themselves available like that, but I do remember like Steve Morse's column in Guitar World. Uh -huh. Uh, or maybe it was Guitar Player Magazine. I don't remember which magazine. But it was very practical advice, whereas all the other columns were like, play this scale, here's how you do it fast, here's how you play it in another spot on the neck. His stuff was more like how to actually think about accomplishing your goals in music, which is very important because musicians aren't, the most goal-minded people, their heads are in the clouds a lot, and it helps to have someone who's been there and done it kind of be like, no, don't do that, you're wasting your time. Or just basics. Like I remember when I first started recording, the amount of problems that I had with just getting going, I really wish that someone could have saved me a year by just saying, don't get a PC, get a Mac. Just don't do it. Uh, you know, just li little things like that. And like I said, also, there's the selfish element to it that I get asked these questions all the time. How do you mic up a snare drum? I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten that question from different people, advanced people and beginners. And it's better to just consolidate it to one spot. It makes it easier for everybody. I still think it's pretty cool, even if you're so self-deprecating about it. <laughs> I all think right. it helps people. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, well, I'm going to let you go then. Thank you, dude. All right, well, dude, well, thanks for taking the time. No problem, dude.
Can I say one more thing about this Vince Sevenfold record? <laughs> Jesus, dude. <laughs> Let me at least back sell the song first. Goddamn. Reflections is the name of the band right there. Uh, what's the song? It's called <clears throat> My Cancer. Uh, ripping somebody else off. Every guy cancer. No, dude, you that was a good song. I dig yeah. that one. Uh, that's uh, that's the latest venture for uh, A.L. Levy right there. It's I think it's like number five on the iTunes metal list or something like right? that right now. Yeah, it's oh, a, good. Their, their single from uh, Reflections on the Metal Sucks podcast. What do you want to talk? Well, I was well, just going to say More about Avenged well, Sevenfold? Just, Jesus, just, just a little thing. Just okay, a okay, little thing. I'm going to say this right now. After this show today, we are not going to talk about Hail to the King again. Unless we get an interview with Avenged Sevenfold <laughs> or we get that dual thing debate with doc uh, and a, rob flynn but you know what the debate between rob, uh, doc and rob flynn is not going to be about avenge sevenfold it really needs to be about the, the originality the, the stuff we've talked about for three decades with music right. and it's all about originality right and that's something that's completely different well it's it's it bodes directly to avenge sevenfold's new album but i mean that's a whole nother argument and that's the argument that doc is trying to have with that me i just don't I just don't like the new record. I just think that if Avenged Sevenfold's not on a major label and they're like your neighborhood bar band, which is what they should be, like everybody would be ripping on them for like, oh my god, they're you know they're fun, but my, they sound exactly like you know, and that's why it would be you know like everybody be putting an asterisk on them, but because they're on a major label and because they're marketed the way they're marketed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all of a sudden now this ripping everybody off is on some sort of it's some sort of artistic statement or or it's no, somehow no, no. good I, for metal or i don't or think anybody's that. saying that oh I, it's good because it's a gateway no it's not no, no, no. screw I, that I, you know what uh, they should be a neighborhood band i'm fine with the gateway thing that's my thing that's my opinion i think that the, as a gateway drug uh they're they're okay that kids can listen to avenge sevenfold and they'll grow out of it why because it's it's an adolescent sort of attack at everything you know it, it just it, it just is uh as far as you know i i agree with that yeah if they were if they were playing it uh the dirty dog <laughs> you would go man that band is awful man I, yeah. i'm not going to see that i'm but, sitting out here th- singing sad but true but it's also the idea that that you know people saying they sell it out or something like that and they, they've been on a major label for 10 years they've got gold records they've got platinum record i mean they have sold albums you know city of evil was huge and that album did exactly what this album is doing, except not as blatantly. You know, it's if you go back and you listen to City of Evil, it was Don't there. Have to. There was a lot of Guns N' Roses. There was a lot of Pantera. There was a lot of Metallica. You know, they 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 definitely wear their their influences on their sleeve. I mean, you can hear it. It's right there. It's in it's in the riffs. It's in the music. And it, and you know. I don't know. I, it's an interesting debate to me. It, you know, it's, they're, they're like, it's been forever. They're, they're like you the Assad. <laughs> they're like the Assad of metal. You know, it's like they did all these sort of small chemical attacks, and because nobody bombed the living bejesus out of them like they should have. And so they, what? This now is the, they're doing like the major big one. This is the nuclear weapon yeah, that they're using yeah, on it, metal right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Blowing the piss out of you. Well, hey, yeah, nobody reacted to the other one, so we're gonna really get outrageous now. Uh, nobody reacting is still like you know two hundred thousand. Uh, well, I mean no. Nobody you know, making a piss uh, about records. it, you know? Well, yeah. And having guys like Doc Coyle go, hey, you guys did good, uh, you know? That, that, no. <laughs> they got guys like Rob Flynn giving them shit. Well, yeah, but they need everybody. Everybody should be just collectively turning their backs on this thing. No, whatever. Instead, you got Deftones opening up for them on tour. What? Oh, no, oh, we got to get an interview with Deftones and try to talk them out of it. 
Ah, yeah, right. Whatever. Well, there you go. There's your gateway argument. Mm, you know, exactly. you, you go see him. About. You go see him, and you go, yeah, we showed up early, and the band that opened up for him blew them Ghost hell off the and stage. The Deftones, I think, is uh, uh, is that Ghost tour. is. I think that's. Uh, I think that's the tour. Uh, wrong, gateway right. to the wrong thing, man. Oh, and Ghost, you know, sounds like you know '70s yacht rock. So I mean, yeah. it's all it's all good. Yeah, uh, with the uh, Satan themes. Uh, I don't know. What what the what the hell? God damn it! What the hell's wrong with metal nowadays? You sons of bitches! You and your kids and your uh, and your stupid backwards hats and see, tattoos and if, stuff. If they had We're like just a couple of old dudes if they barking had, about metal, no, but man. if they had Deftones and Dismemberment Plan or something like that, you know, or not Dismemberment Plan, uh, uh, Dillinger Escape Plan. Sorry, if you had like Deftones and Dillinger Escape Plan open up for you, okay, do whatever you want, <laughs> you know, because you're introducing a lot of people to two pretty awesome bands. That okay, but when you're introducing them to Ghost, ugh. oh come on, whatever, dude. It's what's in right now, bro. It's the occult rock, man. That's what people are liking, man. Another it's all good. Gateway to another gateway. Which to sounds just like everything. Oh, never mind. Exactly. What are we doing here? What the hell are we doing here? But so what's the point anymore, man? <laughs> oh, I, just, I don't understand. New carcass this week, people. That's the whole thing. Actually, this week this week has got some great albums that are coming out, man. Uh, new carcass comes out uh, this week. Uh, what else? Oh, what's uh, the over under on that? Is it ten thousand copies? I think it's going to be five grand. I think it's going to be. I think this is what's. This is the proof. Is like that's the best metal record of the year. Yeah, and it's going to sell. One nine hundredth of what the Avenged Sevenfold record sold. So but tell me what's legit and what isn't legit. I think they're. I think they sell ten thousand. Uh maybe, maybe. I don't know. Their pre-orders probably. I don't know, man. They've they've had a blitz on Facebook. They've been doing yeah. a lot of a lot of a lot of marketing. I don't know. And there's so, enough people talking about how great this album is. But the one that hasn't been getting a, getting a whole lot of talk about it is uh, is the new one from Guar, which is coming out this week. Ah. Uh, and we are talking to Odorous next week on the on the podcast. Excellent. So I want to go ahead and finish off the show with one from the, the brand new album from guar <laughs> might as well but you know we're running over we might as well just send this thing into the abyss you well know? you know it's the way i look at it is if avenge sevenfold doesn't destroy this planet well, <laughs> well guar will. maybe maybe guar can uh, <laughs> can handle that for us that's one thing we didn't talk about we didn't talk about the petition to get guar on the super bowl halftime show that would be awesome i would think that oh dude you know what would, would they do with the never the, the giant space phallus oh my god but they did he did take the space phallus off his uh cod piece when they did i think jimmy fallon or something yeah, like that. yeah so, i mean they they could they could tone it down a little bit. Dude, they would tone it down for the Super Bowl. I think so. I, yeah. I think it'd be awesome. But it, I think that'd be kick-ass if they could do it. It'd scare the crap out of a bunch of soccer moms. Oh. It'd be wicked, dude. So I signed the petition. I know that. I think there's like 4,000 people that signed it. Yeah, it'll then. never happen. No, it'll never happen. But their new record, Battle Maximus, comes out on the 17th. We're going to play you a brand new song on this episode. <clears throat> Get you ready for it, man. A song called Bloodbath from Guar finishes off. The Metal Sucks podcast this week. When I saw the thing that 